broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. Welcome back, Closing the Gap listeners. Today we're talking about semiconductors, and if you don't know what that is, that's okay, because we will be getting into that later. My guest today is Sarla Pollywal, and Sarla is a semiconductor professional, recently retired, did a lot of cool stuff in her career, so thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for having me. For sure. It's my pleasure. Uh, could you give us like a little bit of a breakdown of what you were doing in your career? I know you held some some big positions and some big companies. Yeah. So I started my career off at IBM. Um, I have over 30 years of experience in the semiconductor industry. My education background is in electronics, engineering, and computer science. And so um, I worked in many different areas at IBM. When you work for a big company, that's the advantage so for most of my um, most of my experience, IBM was in the semiconductor industry part of the company, but I also worked uh, in their Linux development, Linux operating system development. Um, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, because um, IBM at that time was trying to really strengthen the ecosystem for the Linux operating system because of. Um, it, it trying to broaden it. And sometimes people wonder about that because it's a private corporation contributing to open source, but there are lots of sort of um, competitive, competitive aspects that go into it, you know, when they, they compete with Windows for their own operating system. So they try to at times strengthen the open system ecosystem, right? You know, um, but, you know, they benefited from it. And so have, so have many other companies like HP and Solaris and things like that. Well, um, I worked there for a long time, and then um, I decided that I wanted to work for a smaller company, and I lived in the East Coast, and so I just started looking. Uh, Personally, I had, my kids were in college, and I had a little more freedom, Um, and I just started looking and found this position in Mentor Graphics in Wilsonville, Um, and Mentor Graphics um, has since been acquired uh, five years ago by Siemens. Um, because of our standing in the in the semiconductor industry in a domain called electronics design automation, uh, which is where we write software to help chip designers and chip manufacturers actually do their job and and do it in in a short time cycle. Yeah. So and do it with accuracy. So that's roughly my career. Yeah. And um, I'll just, yeah, I'll just say um, that. I worked technically for uh, a long time, and then um, finally people called me uh, to say, would I like to be a manager? So, so I have been leading teams um, and, and had the for- good fortune of working very globally with teams in Egypt and India and Armenia, you know, places that I never thought I would ever even visit, maybe, uh, but and, and China. And so it's, it's been a great, great run. Oh, that's great. I feel like the global connections have to be really exciting in this type of work because you get to see all these places and you're working with like such a di- diverse group of minds. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I've been learning a lot doing this podcast is like, that diversity is really what helps like, you know, advance ideas. 
Definitely. You know, and so, for example, I grew up in India, and so I would be considered in the United States someone from a diverse background, yet somehow, I mean, not somehow, it's very obvious, I have to learn so much about the culture of China or the culture in Egypt or the culture in Armenia. It's very different, right? And Mm -hmm. when you're working in this field, especially when you're leading people, this is very important, how you connect with them. Because connecting with people you lead is very important to see what drives them, what makes them tick. Uh, And I will say this is a big advantage of working in the semiconductor industry. It is very global. And there are dependencies, cross-dependencies across the world, as became clear during COVID when we had a shortage of chips, right, in our supply chain, how dependent the United States was and other countries on Taiwan, uh, when Taiwan Semiconductor is the biggest um, uh, chip fabrication, we call it a foundry uh, company. And so these the interconnectedness of the world in this way also became very clear. The old, we already knew it, but it became very obvious to the consumer, right? Yeah. Right. So I'm hearing semiconductors, I'm hearing chips. Could you give the listeners a little bit of a definition of what a semiconductor is and how chips are related to that? Definitely. So semiconductors are really a material, you know, that are used to uh, create integrated circuits or chips, right? Which actually have a functionality, you know, so they, they could be your central processing unit um, in your computer. There's memory, it's sensors, it's all kinds of things, right? So semiconductor is really a material. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the interesting thing about them, and that's why the name semiconductor, is their properties to conduct electricity lie between a conductor, a full-on conductor like copper or aluminum, and an insulator like wood or glass. Um, so, so it lies in between that. And it's also easy to control the conductivity of a semiconductor in various ways by what we call doping it with other materials and also by smaller amounts of electricity. You know, for a conductor, you need a large amount of con- uh, electricity to conduct. So, so that's why they became so popular. And so some of the, some of the uh, semiconductor materials are like silicon, which is just sand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, silicon dioxide, when combined with oxygen, germanium, and then there are combinations of these to alter the property of the conductor, of the semiconductor, I should say, yeah. Awesome. Um, and semiconductors and like chips, they're such a big part of items that we find. So I, I guess almost necessary to like our daily lives now, um, you know, they're like in our cell phones and our tablets and our computers. Um, what do you think like students should know about semiconductors and the way that they're going to affect our futures? Because on top of them being such an integral part of how we operate today, they also have a huge carbon footprint. Indeed, indeed. So let me talk all about, about the opportunities first and then talk about this, right? And this is my favorite sure. topic because my entire career has been in this field, right? And I think it's not very well understood across the spectrum, right? And, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. So first, let's say the huge economic opportunity that the semiconductor field is, right? Mm-hmm. So as you said, you know, they're everywhere. It's pervasive in, in all kinds of electronic devices. So 
there are all kinds of industries that fuel the need and growth for integrated circuits, which in turn are built with semiconductors, right? Um, So you have the automotive industry, and that's where you saw the shortages in cars, that cars, GM stopped their building of cars, right? You know, they're driven by all our consumer electronics, like we just talked about, our phones, our games, no video games and things like that. By the medical industry, you know, you have embedded devices. By the wireless industry, by the defense industry. So these huge industries are fueling the growth for semiconductors, right? And so that then leads to this huge economic opportunity. And at this time, no, is, is like no time ever, I would say, in my career. I mean, they, the semiconductor industry has always been growing. And um, even during COVID, the R&D investment in semiconductors did not stop, right? Because when you build something, you're building it for three years out, two years out, and things like that. So you still have to continue the investment. So the opportunities are huge. And the growth is going to continue. And that's why we have what um, I hope I mean, or most most people have probably heard now, the CHIPS Act, uh, that the, the government, the Chips and Science Act, which is investing money in the semiconductor companies in the United States. Oregon has been a beneficiary of this money, right? So I just want to outline, and I can at some point later, if you'd like to know, talk about what kind of jobs exist, right? But let me just mm-hmm. say the economic opportunity is huge, right? Um, and, and Okay, so now the paradox is that um, it definitely has a carbon footprint. And I'll talk about a little bit about where those come from more broadly. Um, but the paradox here is that the uh, that chips, integrated circuits, and the semiconductor industries also needed to address climate change because they go into you know solar arrays, they go into wind turbines, they go into electric cars, right? So um, all these things um, require uh, the, that semiconductors and as a source for solving these problems. Um, and so, um, but. The carbon footprint, actually, you have to look at the whole semiconductor life cycle, right? So there's the sourcing of the material. Like I said, you know, you have to get silicon geranium and the industry that does that. Then there's the design, actually, of the integrated circuits. Uh, and then there's the manufacturing part of it. And then finally, we all get to use it, you know, in our data center and the hardware and things like that, right? So across, first of all, across all these phases, um, the electricity that's consumed is definitely uh, imp- impacts the carbon footprint, right? Across all these phases, and so one of the things to think about there for corporations is um, is uh, how do we have alternative forms of um, you know energy um, and use the sourcing from that? So I just mentioned that you know Taiwan Semiconductors (TSMC) is one of the biggest chip manufacturers. And they, I believe, last year did this big deal with this Dutch uh, wind turbine company to source all the energy from there, right? Um, And companies like TSMC and Intel have also uh, uh, made commitments that they'll be net zero, you know, by a certain year and things like that. So it's Mm -hmm. a semiconductor industry is very aware of it. There's actually a consortium that's been formed at a semiconductor uh, climate consortium. They just recently came out with a report 
outlining some of these things that I just said, right? So excellent. Yeah. So electricity consumption is a big part, but there's also the part of when you're designing the integrated circuit, the designer, the engineer who designs it needs to keep in mind that these devices should be um, consuming as little power as possible. Like we don't want our batteries to run out, right? You know, but even the servers and how to optimize the architecture for that. On the manufacturing side is a big problem where a lot of very um, ultra pure water is used, you know, in order to wash the wafers from which the chips are made. Um, There are also gases used in order to etch or to actually create the circuits, you know, on this wafer. And so that, with respect to the gases, there's going to be a lot of research to be done there to see how we use alternative. And then how do we, um, there's a lot of hazardous material, you know. So that all is sort of still in research mode, but the electricity part definitely, you know, we have some immediate solutions, right? You know, that that, that we can yeah. I could go on and on, but I think I've given a sense of what it is. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So uh, basically the companies are, they're trying to work around so that what they would be using in maybe traditional forms of propelling their production forward. They're trying to um, just be the green alternative that maybe people that are unaware of that might be hoping that they seek. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. That that's one big source of it, right? But other areas, and this needs a lot of collaboration across companies. Uh, no, for sourcing the electricity, I think that's you know individual companies make their decisions and do that. But for all this other research on how to manufacture these chips um, with uh, the like I said, the gases, how do we get rid of that? Needs collaboration across many different industries and to figure out good ways to do it. But you know, this industry is going nowhere. So this is a very important point uh, to be figured out. But I just want um, everyone to be aware of the paradox that I mentioned earlier. So there's the positive part of this, you know, to address climate change, you need it. And then we all Mm -hmm. have to be responsible about it and see how we can, you know, reduce the carbon footprint. Yeah. That's really excellent. I think that just like, especially when you like add the uh, electric cars using the um, semiconductors and the chips uh, that just is like one more win for the electric cars out there. Um, actually, you mentioned Wilsonville and I live in Wilsonville and the public library down the road it has like, I think it's like six or eight um, like car charging ports, which yeah. I was like super excited about when I moved in. because I was like, that is like, that's the kind of community that I want to be in. Yeah. Still, you know, still in the early phases, it seems to me, but for sure, yeah. For sure. Um, So you were talking about opportunity, the industry is growing. Could you maybe outline some jobs? Is this like an industry that you need to have a, you know, a bachelor's degree or master's degree? Or is there also like skilled trades or people that can learn by um, like apprenticeships to also enter into this industry? Yeah, I think actually I'm not very familiar with the apprenticeship sort of positions that are, but I know they're there, especially on the manufacturing side, right? And so um, perhaps uh, after this talk, I can research that a little bit more and you can put a link into the talk, you know, to to, to say more about that. But mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a very highly skilled um, kind of industry. But what I'd like to say is that 
the opportunities are vast and of very diverse uh, you know categories so if you talk about the domain knowledge first like what do you have to study like what so you know the semiconductor industry hires electronics engineers hires um, computer scientists hires computer engineers hires math- mathematicians hires physicists hires materials engineers chemical engineers and I'm pretty sure there must be mechanical engineers as well because there's a lot of uh, equipment out there right so just the domain is so broad right that that you you that there's almost a place for everyone right sometimes people also think well this is very niche and um and you know but we're using lots of modern computer science technologies for example when we run our software or we are leveraging the cloud you know um, cloud technology and uh we are um using machine learning you know artificial intelligence because there's all this data as you're manufacturing the chips so that's why i said there's room for mathematicians and computer scientists and and physicists and material scientists because there's so much research required for the materials and the optical materials right so those are sort of some of the domains but um I would say that on the kind of jobs this is true of many industries but I wanted our listeners to be aware right because I recently mm-hmm. talked to a young woman and she had gotten a computer science degree and she said well she was given the input that um from somewhere where she interviewed that she would be just like going off and sitting in a room and programming all day and not talking to everyone and so that's the sense she got and this is mm-hmm. almost never true all right So when you create a product of this kind so first of all you could be the R&D person who's developing the code developing the process you know researching everything so that's the people who actually produce produce the product let me say yeah then adjacent to them are people who test it so you're again you have to have a knowledge you have to have domain knowledge but you don't necessarily have to be a coder or be actually developing the process right then you have what you call product engineers And so product engineers essentially are very technical but they are the sort of the interface between the customer and um and and the developer of the product and they will be translating the requirements of the customer so you need these skills of communication get a broad sense of the product things like that right and then of course you have marketing and sales people that you have everywhere but they again also need to understand what's going on so um and and there are all sorts of other things like you know the documentation people the communication people that goes with every industry but i've been amazed in my colleagues who were our documentation people how much they understood our technology because they also run our product right so um really really and it's a very i don't want to say lucrative but i feel like the return on investment is 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 very good you do four years of one of these degrees um versus a doctor which is a great profession but you know a lot of investment in time so um i really would like to encourage people think about engineering in general and then of course um this this industry that hires you know so many different kinds of engineers and so many different kinds of skills yeah definitely i appreciated that part about um there's many different ways you could use computer science in this field because I think that it's so important that we get this upcoming generation and like gen alpha like into STEM because it is producing the careers that are going to be sustainable for their lives and like having a good livelihood. Um 
And I think that one of the things that could be scary is thinking like, oh, well, I could study computer science, but I'm going to have to sit behind a computer and it's going to be lonely and I'm going to just be in a dark room all day, five days a week, 40 hours a week. Um, and that's just not true. You know, it, it is if you want to be maybe the coder, but there's so many other ways you could use those skills to also be up and around and social and... Definitely. Even I mean, if you are that sort of person, sure, right? But, but, but you know, I've hired so many people and we always look at their communication skills, their teamwork. If you have the most brilliant idea, if you can't express it and you can't, you know, explain to others what it is, you're going to be less successful than the person who can, right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, and, and no product really gets... I mean, there are the real innovators and thinkers who come up with the seed, but to take something to market, to make it successful, requires a whole team. And and so you're never sort of in one room. I really, this is something that I want to dispel about engineers or <laughs> computer scientists. I think sometimes, you know, we um, get put into this category of, oh, they're introverts, you know, and you know, they're an engineer, the left side of the brain, the right side of the brain. Yes, I know that we have to use that in order to do our jobs. But I think that scientists and engineers are as multifaceted as anyone, you know, as anyone. Um, I know engineers who are musicians, who are, you know, who write, who um, outdoorsy people. So we have all those facets. And this is something I really would like to dispel, you know, but there's a certain kind of person, right? Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of we like to label things in our society. Like if you're an engineer, you're this, but people don't always necessarily pursue um, their interests and their hobbies as their careers. So it's like you could still go get a really good job and study engineering and you could be a painter or, like you know, um, not to say that like painting is not a valuable skill or anything, Um but no. yeah, it's not, you don't have to like feel like you need to fit a box to exactly. pursue a, a career that's going to be like really good for you. Exactly. And actually a lot of engineers and computer scientists are musicians and mathematicians because there is this thing about patterns and counting and all that, you know, that sort of uh, crosses. The, but I've seen a lot, a lot of engineers. I mean, I myself, before I became an engineer, I wanted to be a journalist. And my dad, who was very, he was an electrical engineer in the nuclear power energy in India. And he basically said, you know, he was a practical man. And he said, well, she's not going to make any money being a journalist <laughs> in India at that time. Um, but uh, so he said, well, you could become a journalist after you finish your undergraduate. And I just said, oh, okay. And I never did. <laughs> but I'm just saying that my interest was very much in, in reading and literature and writing. Um, unfortunately, not pursued to the degree I would have liked to, but <laughs> I had a... A very fulfilling career, yeah. Well, there's there's always still time to do yes, that. Exactly, it's one of my one of my goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think also it you know that people think that uh, STEM like science technology it might not be like the most creative people, but I think that's also uh, you know talking about like the musicians couldn't be further from the truth because all of that problem solving that's such a huge component in STEM careers is. All creativity. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. How do you approach something? Different people approach it in a different way. There is one point I, I want to make about computer science. You know, I'll, I'll say versus engineering only for the reason that I'm going to describe, right? Because 
I have degrees in both, so I can say this, right? Is that um, I think there's been a lot of focus on on programming and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't even say software engineering or computer science. And programming is knowing a program, a, a language to be able to, to solve a problem in software, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of focus on that, but I just feel like the field of engineering and the fundamentals that you should have in any of these domains, I think have been lost a little bit uh, in favor of that. Now, I do know that there are a lot more jobs, you know, if you go pure computer science and you can apply your skills to many different areas, but ultimately you're solving a problem in a particular domain. So I really would like, you know, our listeners to think about these other fields and you can still be a programmer, right? And you can solve mm-hmm. problems in these domains, right? And so a lot, I mean, every domain now has software automation in it. So, yeah. I think what I'm understanding is that um, you're seeing the more focus on like very specialized areas rather than um, people becoming experts in kind of like a general field or a general idea. Uh, well, I would put it slightly differently. I, I would say that, uh, so let me say it a bit differently. So software, you know, the, the, the computer science is a very deep uh, field and and I, I'm not including that in this category, right? But this focus on like programming or creating, writing apps, you know, and things like that, all very good, you know, nothing wrong with it, right? But but if most of the time, if you don't understand the domain, like if you don't, you know, that you're trying to solve a problem in, so you're trying to solve a problem in electronics engineering, say, you know, and you're trying to um, simulate a certain situation in electronics engineering. If you don't understand the fundamentals of electronics engineering, you are not going to be able to solve the problem using programming. So programming is a tool to help you that with you with that, right? So I would like people to go deeper and think of other domains like electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, and there are many, many, and not think that they cannot be software engineers as well because you can combine the two and you are going to be much better positioned to solve problems and create products in this field if you understand the domain. So, yeah, that totally makes sense because then you can uh, you have a little more innovation in the way that you're thinking about things rather than just like, oh, I only know how to make a phone app. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'm I'm really I'm trying to spread the word on this, you know, to think about these other fields. Yeah, definitely. Multidisciplinary STEMIS. Yes. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, so. One of the things that I really like to ask people that are on my show, um, because a lot of this is focused on uh, women and girls getting into um, STEM and skilled trades careers, what would you say to, or what kind of advice could you give to young women and gender minorities that are looking to pursue STEM? Maybe, you know, it's a a high schooler getting ready to enter college or someone that is, um, you know, maybe halfway through and really feeling the burn of the, of the push to get through and finish and graduate. Um, Is there anything you wish you knew? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, first I'll just say, since you said, you know, for women and girls is that, don't believe in the stereotypes, please. This We do not want to lean into and fall into this thing about what does an engineer look like and what does a computer scientist look like, right? So first, just mm-hmm. sort of get that out of your mind. I mean, I've been reading a little bit about the history of computer science women and women in engineering, 
And there were women, you know, Grace Hopper was in the Navy, like at least a generation in, you know, behind me, right? Um, is and, and she was a great computer scientist and mathematician, right? And how did they do it? And, and so first, do not believe in these boxes that we just talked about and, and try to get out of it. I've got a couple more things I would say. And goes back to what I was saying before, is that um, it's very important, whatever domain you're in, is to really focus on understanding the fundamentals, right? So it's sometimes easy to, um, you know, pass. It's not easy, but you could pass an exam learning the formulas and, you know, in, in a certain rote way maybe. But you, it's not going to serve you well if you stop there, right? You, you need to go and understand the whys, especially in the field of science, and really try to understand that. It takes more time, but in the long run, you are going to be the problem solver. You are going to be able to do those things. And it gives you the confidence when you understand the why of something to later on, right? Um, and the last thing, I know this is said, but I can't say enough about taking risks and opening yourself to possibilities. Um, because even if you don't succeed, you learn something about yourself. And some of the biggest turning points in my career have been when I've taken a chance on myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, And then, um, so I think that I, I feel like those are the things that you can prepare with at this point. Um, uh, you talked about the interdisciplinary thing, which is also interesting. Like, I don't depending on which stage of your education you're in, but learn all the sciences. I mean, I was talking about machine learning. It's so interdisciplinary now that when we talk about machine learning, they use, uh, I'll call it a technology or an algorithm called neural networks. So they simulate the way your brain works in a certain way, right? So you can see the cross between these two sciences, you know, engineering and biology and computer science. So if you're in high school, I would say, try to take all the sciences, biology, physics, chemistry, and please take physics, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like even you would take it at the basic level. Somehow that's a science I feel in the United States that is not focused on enough in high schools. <laughs> and I've raised two children uh, here, so that's my experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm very sure in many high schools they do focus on it. But yeah, so yeah, those would be some few things I would say, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And just to back up the physics thing, I was just talking to my coworker the other day and my mind was blown by the 30 minute physics conversation that we had. So definitely would recommend that as well. Wonderful. There is so much happening. Quantum computers, the way electronics engineers, uh, you know, just the field of electronics engineering and so many other things. So it's a great field. I don't know why people think it, well, I'm, I, people have different aptitudes. So I don't want to say it may come easy. I mean, I was never actually a genius at math, but I did it well enough, right? You know, and I haven't mm-hmm. my entire career. I haven't used calculus once, right? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you shouldn't study calculus because it connects, you know, it makes, gives you a way of thinking. It, you know, it, it, it makes these connections in your brain that, that help you in some way, somehow, right? And so just exploring the different sciences and also the arts, right? That holistic approach. If you can do that, you're really setting yourself up for success. That's excellent. I really appreciate that insight. And I realize that our time is coming to a close and I feel like I could keep chatting with you all day about these um, topics, but 
I'm really stoked about what I've learned today about semiconductors and chips. And I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Casey. It was wonderful. <laughs> great conversation. <laughs> and thanks for your great questions. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at MidValleySTEM.org. Until next time, keep progressing.